What powerful words it is. Well, uh, it's, those are hard words uh, to come to grips uh, with from time to time. Uh, just thinking yesterday, we had a, a little scare in our family. Jamie just wasn't quite feeling like she thought she should be feeling. And uh, I guess us suffering from PTSD, from troubles with Ezra, went to the hospital, just to make sure everything was right. And I just remember on the way praying um, and uh, just thanking God that, Lord forbid, whatever happens, that ultimately it is going to be all right. God is in control. Uh, but man, that's a hard reality to come uh, to grips with uh, from time to time. Hard for many people over in Ukraine, uh, I'm sure, as the war is waging on over in Ukraine. Uh, Throughout, uh, throughout this past week, and really ever since war started, I've been uh, constantly, pretty much daily, read up on all the updates taking place in the war uh, from the comfort uh, of my own uh, safe home. Uh, and it's a crazy reality uh, for me to attempt to contemplate uh, what the people in Ukraine and uh, Russia are experiencing. As uh, for me, uh, at a young, ripe age of 24, this is really the first uh, major war um, in my lifetime that could easily spill into something much more. Before this, we had the Iraqi war, uh, and we saw a lot of skirmishes uh, take place that lasted more than seven years. And over a full seven years uh, in the Iraqi war, the U.S. lost 4,400 soldiers, and the Iraqis lost tens of thousands between uh, civilians and soldiers as well. And in under a month, um, in this Ukraine-Russia conflict, Ukraine has lost over uh, 1,000 soldiers plus all of the civilian deaths, and Russia has supposedly lost over 10,000 uh, troops as well uh, in less than a month. Um, and uh, it, it's a bloody a war uh, that could get a whole lot uglier uh, if more uh, people, more nations uh, get involved. And for me, someone who has never uh, really lived through, uh, I guess what I would define as a, a major war, I've taken uh, for granted uh, the level of peace that we have uh, experienced as really a world. It's been a relative peaceful time. Uh, you could trace it all the way back to the end of World War II or the end of the Vietnam War. We, we've been living in pretty peaceful times in comparison uh, to the rest of the history of mankind. There's been and millions upon millions of people whose lives have been impacted uh, due to war and all of the ugliness that it brings. People uh, waking up uh, to the loss of a home, people waking up to uh, the loss of a parent, of a spouse, of a kid, uh, you name it. Uh, war is, is such just an ugly, ugly uh, reality in, in our lives and the history of mankind. I don't know about you, uh, but I so look forward uh, to that day where we will experience an everlasting peace in God's coming kingdom. Although many of us have never experienced a war uh, between governments of mankind, we are all in a spiritual war today as we speak. There is a war between light and darkness. There is a war between God and his enemies, and there is a war between the followers of Christ and the followers of the devil. And unlike any war in the history of mankind, we know without a single doubt 
who comes out victoriously in this spiritual warfare. The Bible lays this out very, very clearly for us all. Ever since the beginning of mankind, ever since Adam and Eve, the outcome of this war has been made known to us. If you read in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, uh, this is after Adam and Eve sinned, uh, after they uh, were influenced by the temptation of the serpent, the ancient serpent, who's later identified as uh, Satan, the devil, in the book of Revelation. Uh, we read uh, that God, as he's cursing uh, the serpent, that uh, the offspring of the woman is going to crush the head of the serpent. Ever since the beginning, this was made known to mankind. I was preaching last week. I was getting into it. I was getting fiery, and I was enjoying that. And in the midst of all the passion and fire, I nearly laughed because as I stomped the floor, it was a good bit into the sermon, and no joke, nearly, I would say at least 75% of your guys' heads went, and, and I was into it, but I didn't want to laugh, but I was this close uh, to losing my mojo and laughing. Uh, but ever since the beginning of mankind, we have known that the seed of the woman, you ready? Would crush the head of the serpent, crush the head of Satan. We look in Hebrews uh, chapter 2, verse 14. I'll read that one uh, real quick. Near the end of uh, your Bibles, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 reads, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself, talking about Christ Jesus, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power over death, that is the devil. So here the writer of Hebrews, whomever he or she is, lets us know that, hey, the, the, this Christ, the one who tasted death, he is going to destroy the power of death. He's going to destroy the one who has the power of death. That is the devil. And finally, we could see, and, and I'll read this one as well, Revelation chapter 20, verse 10 near the very end of uh, your Bible. In Revelation chapter 20, verse 10, we're informed of the final resting place of uh, the devil. And and it reads, and the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were to other figures talked about in the book of Revelation. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Now, I I don't uh, necessarily believe uh, that the majority of, or, or, or that people outside of the devil, uh, the beast, and the false prophet described in the book of Revelation, I don't think that they will experience uh, everlasting torment in uh, this lake of fire. But according here to Revelation 20, verse 10, apparently the devil and the beast and the false prophet, they are going to be tormented day and night forever and ever because they have lost. The battle has essentially already been won. Jesus has come out victoriously. He, he, he was crucified on the cross. And on the third day, God raised his precious son, Jesus, from the grave. And the battle has been won for him. And we too are going to partake in, in, in this victory as well. And so that, that's, that, that's the key difference between this war that we're talking about, the spiritual warfare, is that we know for certain the outcome of this war through the very reliable words of the scripture, words that have not failed yet. And so I'm going to put my faith, I'm going to put my hope in these words that have not failed anybody yet uh, to this day. Nobody has been able to prove false the words written uh, in the scriptures. And I'm going to put my faith in these words that Christ is going to come out victorious as Christ has been handed the power and authority from 
God his father. So now raise your hand if you want to be a part of that winning side. Raise your hand. All of our hands should be raised. Yes, we, we all want to be a part of the winning side. And because unlike every other war in the history of mankind as well, this war has no bystanders. Nobody. Me, and we talk about this war between Russia and Ukraine, I'm a bystander as I'm thousands of miles away from this action and I can harmlessly read about what is taking place in this war between Russia and Ukraine. But there are no bystanders in this spiritual warfare between God and evil, essentially. So every single person is either going to be on the winning team or they are going to be on the losing team. And if you are part of the winning team, if you are on God's side, if you are on the side of Christ, then guess what? The benefit of that, the reward, is you will partake in God's coming kingdom where everything wrong with this world will be made right forever. A never-ending celebration. That's the reward if you are on the winning team. And if you're on the losing team, you reap the consequences of being on the losing side of that war. And the consequences of that is that you will burn and you will die in the lake of fire. That's the harsh reality. Every single person, every single person who has touched ground on this earth will either be on the winning team, experience life everlasting in God's coming kingdom, or they'll burn and they will die in the lake of fire. There, there is no other choice to be had. And we all want to be a part of that winning side of this war. And fortunately for us, all we have to do is have a living and active faith in God and his son, Jesus Christ. It is that simple. It is that easy to be a part of this winning team. And so if you are someone who have not accepted that faith already, then it would be my great, great joy to talk with you about it after the service and and accepting Jesus as your savior. So if anybody's in this room uh, who has not already joined the winning side of the war, you can raise your hand. I'll take note of you. And and we, I would love to talk uh, with you guys after service and, and make sure that you are part of the winning side of this war. And so I hope that you all can see the magnitude of this spiritual war that we are in. It is exponentially greater than any other war that mankind has experienced. Exponentially greater than World War I, the war to end all wars, or World War II, or Vietnam, or Iraq, or or the crisis taking place in Russia and Ukraine uh, as we speak. And so it's of extreme importance. And in this war that we are all fighting, that we are all a part of, uh, whether we want to be a part of it or not, uh, we all have a mission. And that mission is to grow closer to God and expand his kingdom. That is our mission, that one, we grow closer to God ourselves and that we expand his kingdom, that we get as many people as possible to join this winning side of the war. And so when we talk about this mission and in comparison to this idea or this picture of war, you could think of growing closer to God as our defense. That is our armor. That's our shield, our breastplate of righteousness and so forth. We're putting on the full armor of God by growing closer to him. And then our offensive, our attack is expanding his kingdom and bringing in as many people as possible onto the winning side of the war. 
And just like any other war, so we've talked about a lot about some of the key differences between the spiritual war and any other war. Well, now there's a similarity between this war and every other war, that there are a lot of key locations that this war is fought. And throughout this series, we're going to be talking about these different key locations that this battle, that this war is fought on. Last week, we talked about the training grounds, which is the church where we are spending time and we are training and equipping ourselves uh, to grow closer to God and expand his kingdom. So we don't necessarily see a lot of the action. We're not on the front lines within this, the safety of these four walls, but we are equipping ourselves. We are training ourselves to fulfill that mission of growing closer to God and expanding his kingdom. And today, as we continue this series, we are going to be talking about the military base or, or home base for us. Throughout history, when a nation goes to war with another uh, nation, there is a military camp or a, a military base present. You can even see this uh, in the scriptures as well. Uh, oftentimes when the Israelites, they would go off to war. You can see like when Saul, when he went off to war against David and his followers, you can read about an instance where Saul was encamped uh, in his camp in the middle of the night and David came into his home base, his military base, military camp, whatever you want to call it. And uh, he could have uh, killed uh, Saul, but he uh, chose to spare him. And so all throughout history, we have the, these different military camps or military bases where basically this is where the soldiers live during war. And for us, as we talk about this spiritual warfare, our military base is our home. That's our home. That, that's where we live on Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. That, that is our military base. That is our home base. That's where we reside. And in this war that we are fighting, there's arguably no other location that is more important than the home. Say that again. There's arguably no other location that is as important as the home in this war that we are fighting. It's the location that we are both on the defensive and it's the location that we are on the offensive as well. And so we have to adapt our strategy to accommodate this. As in all these different locations, we have, the same, we have the same mission, that mission of growing closer to God and expanding his kingdom. But in all these different locations, we have different strategies in which to fulfill this. And so in talking about our military base, our home as we fight this war, we're going to talk about two main objectives. And those two main objectives is one, growing closer to God, and two, winning our family over. So we'll break each of these down. So the first one, growing closer to God. That, that, that is our first objective in our homes. Of the four different locations of this war that we'll talk about throughout the series, our homes are really the key place in which we are growing closer to God. We're going to grow closer to God a bit in the hour or two that we are at church. And we can uh, grow closer to God a bit when we are on the front lines. We'll talk about later and often foreign territory overseas. We can grow closer to God a bit there as well. But the bulk of growing closer to God, it takes place in the home. And me, when I see the Church of America, this is one of the greatest problems that we experience here in America, is that the church in America, we use the church, the, the, the church building, to be the main place in which we grow closer to God. And that cannot be the case. 
We are only here one or two hours or maybe a bit more uh, throughout the week. That will not cut it. That will not suffice. Instead, we have to understand that the main location in which we grow closer to God in this war, our main defense is at our homes. It would do the church of America, the church of the world, so much good if they understood this, that we don't just grow close to God at church once a week. This is something that takes place on a daily basis, on Sunday, and then also on Monday, and Tuesday, and Wednesday, and Thursday, and Friday, and Saturday as well. It takes place where you live. You know, this topic, this idea of growing closer to God is something uh, that we have talked about a lot uh, ever since uh, I've been here. So we're not going to dive too deep into uh, this topic. But basically, you can grow closer to God like you would anybody else. And you can grow closer to anybody else through your five different love languages. Uh, that's time, that's uh, we have uh, gifts, we have service, we have words of affirmation, and we have touch. Those are the basic five ways in which you can grow closer to someone. And those are the same five ways in which you can grow closer to God as well. And for me and my personal experience, the best way that I have found to grow closer to God is to spend time with him in prayer and reading his word. Throughout my entire life, I have noticed a direct relationship between the amount of time that I spend in prayer and reading my word and how close I feel to God. Whereas if I'm developing good habits, if I'm in the midst of a good habit and I'm praying and reading my Bible on a very consistent basis, I feel very, very close to God. When we can slip from that and we hit our lows and we're not spending as much time uh, with God and prayer and reading our word, I notice in my life that there's a direct relationship between the amount of time and how close I feel to God. Now, there are, of course, other ways in which we can grow close to God, uh, like singing praise to him or providing an offering to God or serving God's children and much more. But in my personal experience, that's what I can speak on this morning. In my personal experience, there's nothing that can substitute our time and praying and reading the Bible. And so we've talked about this a ton, but you've got to develop those habits. So much of our life revolves around our habits. You've got to become a master of your habits. Too many people, in my experience, let the habits be the master of the person. But instead, we ourselves have to be the master over our habits. So that's our first objective at home is growing closer to God. And we have to understand that is the key place in which that takes place. Don't rely on the church building being where you grow closer to God. If you do, your defense is not going to be very strong and you'll easily be overtaken uh, by the enemies. So that's the first objective. The second objective in our military bases or in our home is to win over our family. Now, some of us here today, some of us live in the same home as our family, and some of us here today live in a separate home uh, from their family. And whether or not uh, you live with your family, we'll categorize winning over your family into our military base, into our home, so into this location, whether or not you, you actually do uh, live with your family. And so this is, is a very, very important objective of the war 
especially if you have children living under your roof. Raise your hand if you have children living under your roof right now. A handful of yes, absolutely. You guys got to listen up because this is so, so important. We all know that our kids are so impressionable especially younger kids. I love seeing Ezra as he is growing up now uh, uh, too. He it more and more is copying Jamie and I. And I love that he, he can mimic us, but at the same time, that is a scary reality that he copies what we say. Uh, at home, a lot of times I'll say, oh boy. And now Ezra, all the time he goes, oh boy, or oh mo, oh no, and, and he mimics us, and it's scary, it's fun, but, it, but, but it's a scary reality that, that we experience. And so as a parent, we, we all understand that we have influence, and we have authority over our families, and, and we've got to do the best in influencing them and leading them towards God and his son, Jesus Christ. I love the words of Joshua. If you flip with me to the book of Joshua, Joshua chapter 24, at the very end of the book. Joshua chapter 24, uh, verse 15. Joshua here, he's leading the Israelite nation and he's leading them in the conquest of the land of Canaan. And at the end of this conquest, at the end of the ministry of Joshua, he confronts his people, his followers, and he tells his people in Joshua chapter 24, verse 14. He says, now therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. So here Joshua is telling people, listen up guys, put away those foreign gods, the gods that your fathers and grandfathers worshiped and served in Egypt. And he continues and says in verse 15, and if, if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you'll serve, whether the God your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But, this, this, this is one of, my favorite verse, one of my favorite lines of scripture, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. <laughs> I I love that. I cannot love that more. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So I don't know what's taking place at your house. I don't know what's taking place with your family. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Because Joshua understands. Joshua knows that he has a sense of influence and he has a sense of authority over his family and in his household. And he knows that as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord no matter what the families around us are doing. And so everyone has their own parenting uh, philosophy, but whatever it is, you've got to do your best to ensure your kids accept Jesus as their Savior. Train them up in righteousness at a young age. Solomon tells us in Proverbs 22, verse 6, Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Those are strong words. He says, if you train up your child in, in, in the way of righteousness, if you train up your child, that he will not depart from it. Now, much like uh, many Proverbs of Solomon in, in the book of Proverbs, the bits of wisdom, unfortunately, uh, it's not an ultimatum. Unfortunately, 
if you as a parent successfully train up your child, unfortunately, it's not automatic that your child will return to the training that you have instilled in them. Instead, it's a general rule of thumb where more often than not, if you train your child in righteousness, then more often than not, even if they depart for a short amount of time, more often than not, they are going to return to the training and the instructions that you provided them ever since they were at a young age. I wish it was an ultimatum uh, as far as parent and, and training uh, their kids. Um, my, my family uh, has uh, poor experience uh, with this, as I talked about uh, my brother before. My brother, raised in the same household as me, the same training, the training to live a godly life, to follow Christ, um, and, and to follow God. Um, but unfortunately, this is not an ultimatum. Not every single time, if you train your child up in righteousness, are they going to return to that training? Because unfortunately, at times, uh, we all have our own free will. We all have uh, the ability to make our own decisions. And unfortunately, uh, the majority of people in this world abuse that beautiful gift of free will. And so I want to encourage you as a parent to train your child up in righteousness and to inform you that the general rule of thumb that they will return to that training that you have raised them up as a kid. And I also want to encourage you that even if your child, Lord forbid, does not return to the training that you have instilled in them, don't hang your head on that. Don't hang your head on that because ultimately it is their decision that they have to make for themselves. And sometimes that, that is a painful experience to go through your children not following the training that they had as a kid. But ultimately, we've got to try our best to win our family over. I encourage you next time you see your family, whether you live with them or whether uh, you have kids or grandkids that have moved off in a way, I encourage you the next time that you see your family to stop and pause a minute and look them in their eyes and realize that one day they're either going to be on the winning side of the war. They're either going to partake in God's coming kingdom or two, have the sad realization that they're not on track to be on the winning side of this war. And when you come away with this realization, I hope that motivates you. I hope that inspires you. I hope that gives you a sense of urgency that you've got to do your best to change that now. You've got to do your best to win your family over now. Because too often, we think we have time. We think we have time, and we'll just lay it down the road. We'll take care of that in another day. But when we do that, we keep kicking the can down the road. And before we know it, it's too late. So look your family in your eye. Look your loved ones in the eye and pause for a minute and think to yourself that they're either going to join the winning side of the war or the losing side of the war. And this is an urgent matter that we have to address today. We've got to do our best to win them over now. And so how do we do that? We can do that by a, a number of different ways. 
You can win them over by openly talking about your faith. This is a huge one if you have parents, if you are a parent who have children still living under your roof. Don't rely on the instruction that your kids receive in Sunday school and junior church for one hour. We don't rely on that to be enough to instruct your children. They need to be trained. They need to be talked about their faith on, throughout the entire week. So don't rely on Sundays only to be an opportunity for uh, your kids or for your other family members to, be, uh, to talk about their faith. Talk about the importance of church and, and praying and reading their Bibles. Get involved in their spiritual lives. When you take a look at, at public schools, a lot of times what we see, a pattern we see with the kids who uh, achieve the most in public schools is that they have families at home who are involved in their studies. And the same is true when we take a look at the church. If you want your child to, to efficiently be raised up into the truths uh, of the scriptures, then you've got to play an active role in their spiritual lives. You've also got to lead by example. What you do is a far better example than what you say. And so be leery of that. They are watching you. Your family is watching you. Whether they're living with you or not, your brothers, your sisters, your grandkids, your parents, they are watching you and everybody is influenced by others. And so lead by example, lead by what you do. But the last thing that I want to talk about this morning, one of the most important things that we can do for our kids and the rest of our family to win them over is to pray for them. I'm constantly praying for Jamie, constantly praying for Ezra. I'm constantly praying for baby number two doesn't have a name yet. I'm constantly praying for their future spouses. You've got to be praying for your family. Because prayer is a powerful, powerful resource that we have at our disposal. So that's exactly what we're going to do here in a minute. We're going to give you all five minutes to sit and to pray for your family. And for hopefully, for many of you guys, this will be nothing new, that you pray for your family day in and day out. But maybe some of you guys, maybe you don't think about praying for the spiritual life of your children or siblings or parents, grandkids, whatever it may be. And so if you don't know exactly uh, what to pray for, we have, uh, we'll have behind me here uh, 10 different things, uh, just a, a brief list of different things that you can pray for each family member one at a time. And today as we pray for our family and tomorrow as you pray for your family on your own and the day following and after that, I encourage you to be specific. Be specific, one, about who you're praying for. Don't just be general, God bless my family, but pray specifically for each member and pray specifically for what you want that member to accomplish and what you want them to achieve. Maybe you have a family member who has not accepted Jesus as their savior. So you pray earnestly to God, Father, please, please stir their heart, open their eyes to the necessity of salvation. Maybe you have a family member who once accepted Jesus as their Savior, but now they are going through uh, a, a pattern of sin. So maybe pray, Father, please help them repent 
of their sin. Pray that they can have wisdom in what they do. There's so many things that we can pray for our family, and we've got to be doing that on a daily basis. That's a key way in which we can win over our families. So again, I'll set my timer on my phone. We'll have five minutes for you guys. I want you guys to pray for your family.
prayer is such a powerful, powerful resource that we have readily available for us. And it's my prayer that you all are praying for your families, praying that they seek God and his son Jesus first and foremost, praying that they have a firm foundation built upon the scriptures, praying that they have wisdom, praying that they repent of their sins, praying that they are a winning part, a part to the winning side of the war. So, so important. Got to be praying for your families. Let's go ahead and let's close in prayer. Father, uh, we just thank you for the families that you have blessed us with, whether that be our parents, children, grandchildren, aunts, uncles, cousins. Father, whomever it may be, I just thank you for the blessing that they are in our lives. Father, I just pray that you give us all a sense of urgency and trying to win our family over. And Father, I just pray that we use this powerful weapon of prayer, but use it for your good, for your glory, and for your honor. Lord, we cannot wait to the day when your son comes back to establish his kingdom. And until then, Father, I pray that we as a church, we can win our families over. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen.